0: Hey everyone, welcome to Navigating Business, a business podcast hosted by the U.S. Pan Asian American Chamber of Commerce through the Community Navigator Pilot Program of the Small Business Administration or the SBA. My name is Jeff Bautista and I am the Program Director at ABOC. This is my first time hosting Navigating Business, where we hear from Asian American and minority business owners who share about their experiences, their backgrounds, their struggles, and their success stories. Today, we are honored to be joined by one of the leaders of the music scene. She is a music producer, a DJ, and a content producer, and definitely a CNPP success story. Please welcome Rebecca Nguyen, a.k.a. DJ Deity.
1: Thanks, Jeff, and thank you for having me on the show. My name is Rebecca Nguyen, a.k.a. DJ Deity, and I must say that theme that you guys have in the podcast, really solid, happy dancing in the beginning,
0: Awesome. Well, you know music, so that's a that's definitely a plus for us. Well, I would love to dive into your background and, you know, how you got started in this industry. But before we get into all that, just give us a little bit of background on, you know, personal background on yourself.
1: Personal background. Wow. Well, we can go as deep as childhood, so I can start there. You know, my my parents are both immigrants. My mom is Chinese. She came from Guangzhou my dad's from Vietnam. So how they met is my dad was studying Kung Fu and Tai Chi at the time. So he was in China, didn't speak any Chinese. And he somehow met my mom and they got married. They came over to America and had me. And ah, I was a 90s kid, born in 92, really was into pop culture, a lot of anime, Japanese music. And that's how I grew up was in the feeling like I didn't really belong so I kind of embraced being different and just was really into subculture and gosh yeah I grew up loving music since I was in, in you know middle school beyond I was a very artsy kid so yeah that that kind of went away in high school but then it came back after college when you know I was just kind of having like this I don't know quarter-life crisis like what do I want to do with my life you know what a, I have this degree and it, it, it doesn't fulfill me but I did learn a lot and I just went back to music, learned how to DJ, learned how to produce. And I I feel that since then, you know, there's this path has been opening up for me. So, you know, that that's a little bit about me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think that's such a familiar, you know, backdrop or familiar story. I mean, I know every one of us has our own individual experience, but, you know, like myself as a, you know, born of born here in the United States of immigrant parents and Kind of going through that journey and you know living out kind of what their expectations for how they want to raise their kids and then going through this discovery of yourself and you know you you get the college degree and then you kind of realize okay well this might not be exactly where i wanted to go with what you know if i had my own say in how things are and you, know, you kind of discover yourself and it sounds like you know you went through that whole process which is just pretty amazing so as far as memorable experiences, you know you're you're taking us through and and we definitely want to hear your story. So what are some of the memorable experiences that kind of inspired you really, just to get into the music industry?
1: Whoa, okay, so while I was still in college, I fell in love with this band called Night Riots, and they I would just go follow them everywhere whenever they were in California on tour, and there was just something about the way that the lead singer would just captivate the stage. And I was captivated. I'm like, how could I feel this way? You know, how how is it possible that I'm feeling this way right now? And I just loved it. And that their music got me through college because I would commute from Orange County to UCLA, long drive, like an hour and a half each way. And I would just have their music on repeat. I learned how to sing, being in the car, just singing along. And, but I, I didn't really think that I was going to get into music at that time. I just knew I loved it. And then I, it was kind of a sad story, but I got into a car accident after I graduated. And that was really shocking for me. You know, I, I had PTSD. I was very much alone, felt very isolated, didn't have a car. And music was what got me through a lot of those dark times, along with going into therapy and learning how to you know, manage and to heal. And so I... I discovered this DJ on Facebook. She was this like seventy year old Japanese lady and she learned how to DJ when she was, you know, a grandma, grandma aged. And I thought, you know, that's really cool. And I started getting into electronic music at this time. And I thought, well, well, that why can't that be me? So the car accident was kind of a blessing and a curse because with the settlement money I was able to buy my DJ gear and take lessons. And, you know, that was in two thousand seventeen. And after that, the rest was history
0: wow that's definitely a story and it yeah it's, it's it's one of those things where it's you know the mystery of it all and how it you know came to fruition it is certainly an inspiring you know story to hear going to the business side of things as you know this is part of the community navigator pilot program or the CNPP so i want to know how did you hear about the CNPP and how did you get
1: involved so one day i was checking my email and I got this message inviting me to this networking breakfast with the Asian Business Association of Orange County. And I looked at it and I'm like, well, I can, I, there's this code that I can, you know, get a free breakfast and go and, and network with people. And I've never done anything like this before. I just kind of took it as a sign from the universe, like, let's try this out. So then I went and I was so nervous, you know, and I'm like, oh no, we have to stand up and do like a, an introduction. And. You know, I said I was a DJ and then, you know, people were approaching me and they actually wanted to talk to me about that after. And I even got a gig out of that. Then after that, I started to just go to more of these meetings and really just broke out of my comfort zone of just playing gigs, you know, with, you know, nearby shows and with people that I knew. And I wanted to dive into like the business side of things because I have no business background and coming here through the ABOC and then learning about all these programs with CNPP, it actually boosted my confidence in a way and and like stretched or exercised parts of my brain in a way that really helped me grow my business in a positive way so
0: oh that's so awesome to hear cuz you know similarly for me you know i went to college for computer science i did the corporate thing and i just you know there's always kind of that weird fire inside where i wanted to shoot out and do something on my own so when i finally did do that i didn't even realize there were sorts of you know programs or organizations where I could kind of do that because, you know, it's it's nothing that was brought to my attention ever, especially since I was kind of, you know, schooled in one certain area or one industry. And so, yeah, to 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 kind of wake up and see like, wow, there's, there is this community out there. There are these organizations, there are these resources and something like what CMPP provides. Going back to your first meeting there, I know these meetings have a training aspect. Do you remember what the training topic was back then?
1: I think it had to do with certifications. Yeah, it was, I definitely went to one, like one or two of those. So that was in the beginning. And I think the second one I went to was, I think a a woman named Rhonda, she was explaining OC workforce and that was how I, the the grant. So yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So I know when I was speaking with the, the previous program director, he was mentioning, you you can get a lot of grants for your business, you know, and you don't have to pay it back. And I'm like, really, you know, is this possible? And there was a woman that came and spoke. I, her name was Rhonda Miller, I believe. I don't, hope I didn't fudge that up. You're right. She's, okay, cool, cool. So I still I still got it. So she was explaining OC Workforce and how they were providing grants for pandemic relief for small businesses that were between like a certain time when they started between a certain time frame. And I qualified for that. So it was literally as easy as me just knowing where to go. I, I Enter the URL on my computer. I applied, put my information down, and then I think just like a couple weeks later, they said that I was approved for this grant, and then they sent me the funds in a check. And I'm like, "Whoa, that was really cool. This happened, and it wouldn't have happened without you know ABOC, CNPP just showing me the way."
0: Oh, that's that's so great to hear because that's exactly you know why this program exists and you know why this podcast exists is really to kind of help, you know, help other business owners who are listening just kind of discover what what's out there for them. Because, you know, there's that whole realm of things that you kind of know, right? And then there's a whole bunch of things that you don't, you know, that you know you don't know. And then there's a whole nother realm of things that you don't know you don't know. And this is definitely why these things are important, because we want to put that sort of, you know, kind of technical assistance and resource assistance out there for people so they can help navigate what exactly they have available to. And that's really great that you're, you know, one of the fortunate ones to, to have the ease of, you know, getting that assistance. So that's really wonderful to hear. If you don't mind me asking, what, what did you end up doing with that that assistance? How did it help you?
1: I upgraded my DJ gear. So I got a facade, which is those cool like fold tables with the, the scrim, so you can put lights behind. Oh, and I got lights too. So I have this cool light up booth that I feel really adds like value to my business. And what else did I do? I was doing some events back then too so I was getting a lot of like different decorations I was paying for venue rentals and that was the gist of it yeah yeah a couple more things here and there maybe paying for like my DJ insurance yeah off the top of my head or website hosting
0: <laughs> yeah I mean that's probably you know one of the one of the most eye-opening pieces to me is as a you know a new business owner when it happened to me was you know just the the different sort of expenses that would come up that I didn't know, like, oh, I didn't know I had to cover this. I didn't know how to cover that. And you know, you budget, you can only budget for so much and then you don't, you know, you don't have room for the things you didn't know you needed. So that's awesome that you're able to get some financial assistance with that. So let's shift gears a little bit, right? Let's, let's get back more to talking about you and your music and yeah, you know, we heard about how you kind of got into starting your own business, and you know, you mentioned your parents. Did was there any sort of you know family influence or cultural influence into you starting a business or becoming a business owner?
1: Mm, no one's ever asked me this. Maybe, maybe my dad has always been very entrepreneurial since he was, you know, over here. He did a lot of like handyman work, and he learned a lot, you know, from just different people over the years and you know I my first job was helping him like you know remodel bathrooms and installing wood floors and drywall so yeah I I knew what it was like to just get my hands dirty and just be in the zone learning a new skill. I would say maybe just the mentality and I'm sure a lot of people of Asian descent can relate to this is you know the <laughs> the typical like SAT dad meme where you know you have to get straight A's you know or you're a failure, and Although they were never that intense about it, there was a, a huge pressure to perform well in school. And so i I did. And where I was weak at was like math, p e. and I had to work extra hard in those subjects to you know bring my grades up. And I think a lot of that translated to a lot of the jobs that I've had when I after I graduated or even like you know throughout college, I just i I had this mentality that like whatever it is that I'm learning, I'm going to learn it. And I'm going to learn these new skills, even if I've never done it before. And I've, I just kind of had this confidence about me where no matter what job came my way, I know I could do it. But then then again, you said like, there's things that you don't know, you don't know. So that was where my weakest point was. It's like, if I don't know it, how can I learn how to be good at it? And that's when I, I got that sign from the university or the email to come to this breakfast meeting for me to learn. And I know that I'm doing the right thing is when I'm, like really scared, you know. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not good at this. I'm networking with people I've never met before, ah. And I'm like, all right, that's how I know I got to do that because I am terrified of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what they, what do they say? Like the fear and excitement. If you do a brain scan, it like triggers, it's like the same areas of the brain. So uh-huh. it's like, you know, it's really just distinguishing, you know, are you fear? Is it something to be fearful of or exciting? You know, they're really just a thin line between what the difference is with that.
1: Well, one of my mentors told me once that everything that you want is on the other side of what you're resisting the most. And that really stuck with me. So, you know, if I'm resisting something, it's because that's where I need to be. It's that next level. And it breaks me out of my comfort zone. Uh Well, I guess
0: on the same note as resistance, right? So was it difficult for you to break into the industry and kind of promote yourself when you're starting out?
1: Yes and no. I was very lucky, I feel, because a lot of the gigs that I've got just came for me like, Walking down the street, like, true story. So the first paid gig I've ever got was during the art walk in downtown Santa Ana. I I used to live down there. So I would walk around, just check out all the different art. And I I walked by this door and I heard music. And I'm like, I'm going to check that out. So I walk in, I go up the stairs, and it's this barber shop. And... I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. I don't know if this this is a public thing or private thing. They're like, no, come on in, come on in. So I ended up talking to this gospel rapper who was getting his hair done named Clemmy. And he was was so open and so warm and so welcoming. And he wanted to get to know what I did. I'm like, oh, I'm a DJ. And he's like, well, let's get you some gigs. And so he connected me with somebody who got me a monthly gig at the Art Walk at 4th Street Market. You know, at the time, it was my first gig, so I, I didn't really know how to value myself. It was a lot of work for a little pay. But at the same time, I was really glad to have that because it did get me a lot of experience doing that gig. So I'm very grateful for that. So that that is a true story. I just walked into a barbershop and that's how I got a gig. But other than that, I would say a lot of the struggle is just not seeing representation and I realized that I need to be that representation. So there is kind of this, you know, a lot of the Asian women actresses that you see, you know, like Aquafina, it's like all of a sudden, because they're the first ones on the scene or they're you know, like the second or third ones, there's this pressure for them to be this symbol of representation. So I'm, I guess the struggle would be like, you know, do I need to really step into that role in order to be successful? Or like, can I just be successful on my own merit without? having this being seen as an asian american woman you know there's you know there's some weird like moral like struggle there but i you know i kind of just let it be as it is you know if i am seen as somebody that can inspire others who look like me to uh pursue their passions then great but i don't i don't know i don't want to make it a race thing but at the same time it might have to be (laughs) if you get what i mean (laughs) i mean that's that's exactly
0: why you know organizations like 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 US PAC and programs like CNPP. I mean, they're set up because the reality of it is, is, you know, there, there are some discrepancies that, that exist across those, you know, racial lines. And, you know, actually this is a perfect segue into the next question that I had, which is to tie it together with your background and the work that you're doing in the music industry. Do you advocate strongly for the underserved or minorities also trying to break into the music industry?
1: Absolutely. And the reason I say this is because there is a lot of microaggressions that I receive and a lot of minorities that I know receive that, you know, people who look like Porter Robinson or Avicii or like, you know, the white male DJs or musicians, they don't get. So I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody and, you know, I tell them I'm a DJ and I do music. And the first thing they ask me is, what's your nationality? And that really grinds my gears. And I had to learn, you know, I actually had to talk to my therapist about this, like, how do I navigate this? Because I get so emotional and it's very, you know, it interrupts my, it makes me feel small. You know, you're reducing me down to my race and I don't want to talk about that. It's a professional setting. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about our passion. So, you know, she told me a good way to navigate that is saying, you know, that's a very personal question. I'm not going to answer that. And maybe you should think about why it's appropriate to ask that at a professional meeting. And I'm like, whoa, that's a bike drop. So I can't wait for the next time somebody asks me that because it gives me an opportunity to really stand in my power and set some boundaries. But, you know, I've, I've heard the same thing from some of my queer and gay colleagues that they said, yeah, I get the, you know, oh, you're a homosexual. And when is this ever appropriate? But people do that because we're not the norm. We're not the kind of people that you would see in these roles as musicians, as people who are artists. And. You know, at the end of the day, when you hear when you hear the music, none of that, none of what you see translates. It's all what you hear. It's all what's coming from inside of us. So you, I don't, I can't tell a difference between like a song produced by an Asian person, a song produced by a white person. But at the same time, there is a lot that we have to face that I think can make or break us. Sometimes it might discourage people from going into the industry because of all of this prejudice that they face and. That's why I really want to advocate for minorities to be able to empower themselves or, or even me help them just by being here. Like, say, you can do it. You don't have to listen to the, the weirdos just like asking you about your race or, you know, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why, like, you know, into as the importance of it all, you know, it's really like you said, going back to the representation you know, making it more commonplace so that questions like that or, you know, those kind of things come up because it's, to them, it's not normal. So we need to change that dynamic and let's make it normal, right? Let's let's put our representation out there so you see more of that happening. And when you encounter that, it's not like, oh, why, why is this different? There isn't any difference, like you said. Really quick then, I mean, do you, what do you think are some of the, the common challenges or barriers that, you know, this, the, you know, underserved and minorities face in outreaching,
1: What do you mean in outreaching them? You know, just like because
0: there's this, you know, thought that maybe it's not so prevalent within their communities because, you know, the the opportunities of it, your story, you know, becoming something like you isn't available to them because they don't know about it. Right. So there are barriers. There must be something that's stopping, you know, that that getting out to them. Do you, Mm -hmm. you know, are you aware of any sort of barriers like that? Is it, is it just something that, you know, people don't put in front of, you know, you know, an Asian American woman to even dream about?
1: I say that there's quite a few, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. So the first thing I would mm-hmm. say is, even if the opportunity showed up for some of these people, right, even if they see it's possible, and let's say, like, I'm going to show you how you can get this grant, some people are not ready, or they don't think they're worthy of it. And those those mental blocks go really deep. So perhaps there's something that happened to them in their childhood and like, you know, everything stems from your parents, you know, how, you're, how you were raised, maybe you were raised to not believe in yourself. Even if the opportunities are there, even if all the signs point to it and like, you know, the op- and everything shows up for you, if you can't believe in yourself, it's not going to happen. It needs to come from within first. And that spark of inspiration that you Know that guiding force needs to come from an inner motivation, and I feel that so many people who are minorities have had that agency taken away from them, or it had been you know crushed because they are they look different or they act different or they you know like people, members of the same sex, and it's just very much um, you know, it's it could it's very tragic, and I think the people when they Get past that, though. That's when things do start to open up. So, for me, a lot of the struggle was with my mental health, especially with the the car accidents. And, you know, I was in a very dark place. Found that spark of hope just by welcoming it. You know, listening to the music and finding something that did give me a sense of peace. And when it it's like this, you know, ladder of consciousness. So once you're at the bottom, you're depressed. Then you go up until you're frustrated, or you're like you're angry, and then eventually go up and up until you get to inspiration and hope gratitude so it's all about like first desiring to want to get out of that state so if let's say deep down you want to be a musician but you're not letting yourself pursue that you need to see first like okay you know what's what is blocking me from even feeling good in this moment you know why am i feeling such you know so crappy
0: exactly no i i I mean i relate strongly just you know myself as self-doubt has always been, you know, and I think for a lot of people is, is is a barrier, right? And that self-doubt, when you dig a little bit deeper, you know, like you said, it kind of stems back to, you know, my parents, as, as immigrant parents, you know, they they had that view of the American dream. And, you know, there's kind of this template that you need to follow to achieve what that is in their definition of what the American dream is. And when, you know, my, myself, I'm a, I'm a business owner and you know, I I set out on my own. I left the corporate world back in 2007. So I've been at it for a while now. And my, you know, my parents weren't exactly thrilled. You know, they're like, "Yeah, you know, you went to school, you got the college degree, you had a good high paying job. Why did you leave it to start your own business? And I, I, and that's where that kind of self-doubt takes a little bit of root because, you know, they're just trying to be protective, but at the same time, they don't realize that okay, well, they are creating a barrier by putting that kind of negative impression on everything. And, you know, I imagine that's that's what maybe a lot of, especially Asian-American young entrepreneurs are probably facing when they're making that decision. This was part one of episode five, a business podcast hosted by the U.S. Pan-Asian-American Chamber of Commerce through the Community Navigator Pilot Program of the Small Business Administration. Please join us next week for part two. Thank you.